I'm Michael Hall. And I'm Andy Davis. And we want to welcome you to The Dad Vantage, the D&D podcast where two old school dads talk about new school play. That's us, with a few dad jokes thrown in. At least one. At least one. <laughs> Andy, you want to give the socials? Yeah, so you can follow us. We're on Twitter at the underscore dad vantage. And then you can find us as the, the dad vantage podcast on Facebook. Follow us on all the socials. Yeah. We're pretty yeah. active and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I've been pretty active on the Twitters, on the bird bird platform <laughs> the, lately. The so. Twitters, amongst the birds. The bird <laughs> amongst people. the birds, right? Yeah. So if you if you want to interact with us there, it's a good place to get sort of straight up interaction with us. But we're, we're not inactive on Facebook either. And we've got a pretty yeah. good following there. All right. Well, this week we're going to talk with it. Andy and I have a very personal issue to talk about. Um, yes. It's going to be like <laughs> Dungeon Master Therapy 101. Yeah. So As two semi forever DMs, like, you know, <laughs> Game Masters. This is one of those things that always pops up and is yeah. always tough when you start trying to design encounters. Right. So we, we were talking about this the other day and we've mentioned it a couple of times. How do you create the right level of threat for your party? Right. How do you create the right level of encounter? How do you balance against CR ratings? Um, how do you make it feel dangerous without TPKing your party? Because neither one of us likes the idea of a TPK. If it happens, it happens. But honestly, I'm trying desperately to avoid it, but want the party to think it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere no, between I, there. <laughs> yeah, that's 100% it. I think you're trying to create a sense of risk and create stakes for the party. So if they can waltz through, I heard, I, I heard, I was listening to Brendan Lee Mulligan talk with the Iyengar and Matt Mercer. And he had this really beautiful metaphor for being a DM, which was the DM's job. The player wants to achieve a goal, which is a straight line, but the DM's job is to the, sorry, the character wants to achieve the goal by way, ideally through a straight line. The player wants to have a great experience to be able to tell this great story. So what the DM is doing is they're introducing loops and ribbons into that straight path that still allow the the character to get to the goal, but give the player all these different things and challenges to kind of get to that goal, which I thought was a really beautiful kind of metaphor of what we're trying to do. What you don't want to do is chop that path inadvertently or whatever by way of a TPK, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is a DM always has all the tools they need to, to create a TPK really at any, at any point in time, if you want to end the campaign, you can just be like, Oh, Hey, rocks fall, everybody dies, rocks fall, everybody dies. And we're, and that's the end of it. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give you the example that, that was really personal to me recently is that I've been amping up my, my players in my current campaign, which is the Shattered Chasm campaign that Andy and I mm-hmm. plan a lot. And they're, they're on the road to the floating city. And I have had a number of encounters that have been sort of challenging, but not ridiculously challenging. They've been cakewalking some of the more powerful monsters I've put in their way. So I've been trying to figure out how do I amp up the threat? And I have a variety of ways of doing it. And we'll talk about some of them. Some of them work better than yeah. others. But in this recent battle, I had amped it up and the first part of the encounter, they just cakewalked it. I mean, literally one character wiped out four monsters in a single attack. 
Wow. And then, so I pulled in the second grouping of monsters and I almost TPK'd. So it's just, how do you do that? Right. And we'll talk about difference. We're, what we're going to talk about today is just different strategies. First, for understanding how you create the initial encounter set so that you create that initial encounter that creates the right level of variability so that you can then have options as a DM yeah. Without, yeah, yeah, yeah. without a lot of scrambling. Yeah. And, and without having to do awkward stuff like, oh, the, the big bad is about to totally TPK your party and they decide to run away. Right? <laughs> they, the, oh, I'm scared. And they turn and run. Or you have to have, you have to drop some super, super, super powered NPC, you know, that lands in and saves the party because nobody likes to be saved. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, Andy, I think, and this is sort of just to create a baseline, is just understanding CR. Yeah. Yep. Just to understand it. Like, look, there's a lot of complaints about CR out there in any of the socials on Reddit yeah. or on Twitter. You're going to find complaints about CR. CR is an imperfect system. Um, and yeah. why is it imperfect? Well, this is not a binary system. Parties are not created equal. Characters are not created equal. Parties have different play styles. Parties have different experience of like monster killing. You know, you've, yeah. got, a, you've got a 20 plus year veteran of D&D playing again with a one-year veteran. Sometimes they're going to have different strategies and understand how to take out monsters. And then there's metagaming, which yeah. also occurs out there where the party know more than the characters about the monsters and use that to their advantage. Yeah. So yeah. let's just sort of address that. The first thing we just want to say is just say, look, there's no perfect system. You as a DM have to adjust to your party. That's the first thing I'll say. And yeah. so how do you adjust to your party? There are a lot of strategies. The first is just encounter design. So let's talk about different strategies for encounter design, Andy. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. Of like, how do you how do you create how do you encounter design to to avoid to avoid that TPK? Yeah, or, I mean, or so under threat, or not making an encounter yeah. that just feels like a cakewalk. So the way sort of modern five E has evolved and the way people play is because a lot of abilities and capabilities reset on like a short and long rest. One way to think about D&D is as a resource management kind of game, right? You know, that the party has a series of resources and you as the DM are trying to drain those resources away from them. The fewer resources they have, the more their sense of risk and their sense of challenge tends to go up. So a party that is fully rested and has all of their spells and they've got tons of, of healing potions and all the rest of it, they are going to, they won't run, right? You could drop huge threat in front of them. Big storm giant comes striding into the, into the room. They're going to be like, okay, we can take him. So one of the things that I like to do to help offset that so that I'm not having to have a really OP initial encounter with some creature is I will try to do use like a series of smaller encounters sometimes as a way to that the party is moving through a dungeon to get to the big bad. So I will pressure them and not allow them to rest or make it difficult for them to rest. And which is relatively easy. You send up every time you disturb, every time they try to rest, you disturb them, right? It doesn't have to be a, an, a party ending encounter, but it's another band of somebody comes through and they see them and they have a little combat and, and but it just prevents them from getting that reset and it also like drains like oh the warlock has burned a bunch of their spell slots right the sorcerer is running 
running low on sorcery points. The fighter has used his action surge or whatever else it is, the second wind. So as those things get pulled away, then the party gets, they, they feel more under threat. Yeah, I think that's so, a really important. Yeah. And I, I use that sort of building encounter system as well, Andy. I think that's yeah. because what you're trying to do is you're trying to just sap their resources. Yeah. yeah. So run them through some spells, run them through some some custom some of their racial or feature uh, subclass features and get them to use up some of the things mm-hmm. that make them incredibly powerful just to in- intentionally do it. Yeah. And I think that ramps up the threat because then people, the players into a mindset of, I have to pay attention to my economy, which yeah. then makes them more engaged in the encounters, regardless right. of the threat level. So I think that's, that's my number one strategy as well, too. It's just, I, and I usually do two things or similar to what you're doing is I usually design when when we're talking about building to an encounter, I tend to use a series of two to three encounters that get you to the primary encounter with the idea that the characters know and have a reason to go after that primary encounter. And there's just a few things that are going to get in their way, but there's usually a time bound reason why they would want to get to that primary encounter. So that encourages them to move forward without resting. If Mm -hmm. they do choose to rest, I can then choose to throw a random encounter their way. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I also have a system for random encounters when they're, so I would decide like if they're in a threat area, I have everybody roll a D six and any ones produce random encounters. So there's a pretty, so the bigger the party, the more chances there's going to be random encounters and they're the more, the more ones that get thrown, the harder the encounter is. Well, that's a, then, that's a, I like that. That's a, I don't think I've ever. It, it's a pretty. It's a pretty. I borrowed it from the Dungeons and Drakenheim uh, group. Those guys, the Dungeon Dudes, because that's, that's a fun way a, to do it. It, it is, it, and it, it's because also then they're like, they know that they have to roll, and then when they roll <laughs> ones, they're like, no. And it doesn't always have to be a negative on the one. Yeah. Maybe it'll just be an encounter without a threat of danger. Right? Yeah, it could be a social encounter um, or something like that. But if it's two, if it's two ones then it's definitely going to be a high threat one. If it's three yeah. ones and, and I've got some encounter tables to sort of roll on that sort of amp up the threat. Right. Um, right, right. But again, those are just ways to uh, one more thing sort of in, in, in encounter design that I do Andy, and because I'm always aware I've got a lot of players who've played a long time. They yeah. know all the monsters. So the two things I do is I always custom build the monsters. I always give them, a trait or a feature or a thing that is different than standard. um, So that, that, that removes some of the metagaming. And then I describe the monsters rather than showing a picture or telling them the name of the monster. And frequently through the description, I will throw the characters off so they can't metagame as much. So they have to guess what the monster is. Again, all those things are out there in, in terms of setup. Yeah. I think for me, like I'm, I'm maybe somewhat less concerned with metagaming in a lot of cases. I mean, I think people during, especially with big sort of boss encounters, players are always trying to figure out exactly what are the vulnerabilities? What are the resistances the monster has? And I I will reskin stuff, but I don't, I don't, for me, I'm a, I'm a lazier DM than you are, Michael. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, oh yeah, it's in the book. That's great. It's going to be a phoenix. Well, They're fighting what, a phoenix. And if it's even if it's problematic, I might be like, hey, guess what, guys? It's a cold phoenix. And I'll let them work yeah, it out from there. I, I think the, the main point there is you can also describe it differently. So they can. Yeah, yeah. And what I mean by metagaming is just 
if they don't know what the monster is, it 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 amps up the threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, right? it does. Like it, makes, it does amp up the drama, right? The drama. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, and I never, and I almost never say like, "Oh, it's a phoenix." I would say like, "Hey, a giant fiery bird has, you know, descended through a a rip in the sky and uh, is attacking you." You know, yeah, that's <clears> what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, I think that I do think I do agree with you there that like, you don't have to give up the name of the thing unless it's something that's like. Clearly, oh yes, it's a, a very large red dragon-like yes. thing seen of a go- flying into the goblin. The goblin is it's uh, you're being attacked by goblins. One of the things also is kind of like an inversion of the the idea of a series of encounters is sometimes I will use like a timer essentially. So that could be like an environmental timer. <clears throat> that could be like, hey, the water you're in. A, you're in a room, the water is rising. rising. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to defeat the enemy and figure out how to get out of the room because yeah. if you if not, you might beat the enemy, but you're gonna drown. So there's right? or let's talk about the different mechanics on it, because there's like four different mechanics you can employ. You can either lean in on flavor or you can lean in on the mechanic. Right. The mechanic is kind of nice because that actually goes to what we're talking about, which is combat. So the first one, and you and I both agree, is like layer effects or environmental effects, right? That then work. So you can look at the layer mechanics to say on initiative 20, this happens every time. It can be an attack, like an additional attack. Like mm-hmm. there are there are flaming, uh, there are nozzles of flame embedded in the wall and yeah, anybody that... who's in that direction gets blasted, right? So you can create very much those environmental moments um, and, and, and mechanically you can run them on an initiative order. And as, as we talk about like dialing risk up and down, you can also turn them off, right? You know, you can choose, like, that's the thing about like having layer effects and even like legendary actions and some of those things is if you as a, if you as a DM are min-maxing every account, every encounter to your own benefit, that is going to really ramp up your risk of really hurting, really killing off the party, right? Rather than killing, rather than knocking a couple of them down, but they still are able to like heroically survive. That becomes if, Oh, everybody's down, and oh, hey guys, we're back at the top of the we're top of initiative, and we're at twenty. And oh, I know everybody's down, but oh, I've had lava pour out of these of these vats every every round on this thing. If they pour out again, you're just going to kill everybody. Like that's yeah. no fun. Nobody got- wants to do that. So you can be like, oh, hey, the a mechanism that had been working suddenly stops working, and there's a pause. Right? It's yeah. still the there's no there's not enough lava to finish that little flow there's not enough the water a body has clogged the the thing I, that's allowing the water to flow into the room whatever it is you can yeah i i did kind a, of narratively adjust in that moment <laughs> in the in in this recent encounter that i did party they they were being there was a an environmental effect what i basically described as a layer action on 20 that was basically basically a web it's a shadow web that's being cast on mm-hmm. the characters and it got most of them the first time through. Mm-hmm. So I didn't run it a th- second or third time to get the one or two yeah. players that <laughs> escaped it because right. one or two players were not going to kill the monster. Yeah. But I had effectively removed three of the characters from really active participation through the first round. So I didn't yeah. need to run it again on initiative 20 in round two. Yeah, it seems exactly. to like overkill at that point. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great way to do it. But there's another one you and you mentioned, and I do this one a lot. I just design my encounters that round one, 
they have these monsters round two, these monsters, these additional monsters come in mm-hmm. and then maybe I'll hold back around three plus depending on how they handled the first two sets of monsters. Yeah, exactly. Like that sort of like the, that, uh, that sort of wave thing. Another yeah. thing that is sometimes like along the idea of the timer is to have like a very, like a distant threat, right? So you have, you're fighting a bunch of giants <clears throat> at the very beginning of the encounter. One of the giants blows a horn. He's clearly alerted some party that's off in the distance. And so that is an, as a rule, I will say this as a rule, I've had this happen any number of times where I've designed an, a scary encounter where the party is going to see it and clearly know that they're going to be overwhelmed and then run. Generally speaking, parties don't run. They're going to fight. They're going to fight longer yeah, than they ought to. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good but, point. India. I actually had the party in this in this encounter that I just ran where I almost TPK'd them. They, their, first, their first thought was, let's run. And they started to run. And then I had the round two monsters were coming from the opposite direction. So they ran right into the round two monsters. <laughs> and it was kind of awesome. Yeah. But it was also like, they were like, ah! <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've had, I've, I mean, what I've had happen too is like, you'll have party of five, five players, four players will be like, we're running. Fifth player's like, my character wouldn't run. He's And he dives in. And then all of a sudden the whole rest of the party Instead of like going in with a plan, they just get kind of dragged in bit by bit. And so they're on their back foot just to begin with. And that's where, and that's the moment when stuff starts to get, as a DM, you have to be, I would say, A, there's this, the idea of you have this overwhelming force that's coming that sort of puts constraints on the encounter. That is another way to handle it. When we talk about the party not running, just philosophically, when you're in mid-encounter, don't wait too long to pull the plug on an encounter. When you think about like how the round structure works yeah. and everything, if you, if you get to the top, it's it's not a bad thing to check in with your players at the top of a round before you're, before it's all starting again, especially if you're in like the, if you get to like third, fourth round of an encounter to really check in with them and be like, Hey, where is everybody at? Yeah, because players point. not nece- yeah players aren't necessarily going to tell you where their hit points are. They're not necessarily going to tell you. They're not even necessarily telling their their teammates where they are. But just to check in on like, are you really hurt? Are you don't necessarily need the number, but like, hey, are you on a scale of one to ten? Are you at one? Are you at nine? Are you at five? Are you whatever that yeah, is? Yeah, and, and, and because you can you can vary without thinking about it too much, or if you're not really keeping tra- as a DM, you have a lot to keep track of. If you're not keeping track of where they are at and you have hit one or two people really hard and then you get to the you get to the end of that third round and the fourth round starting and your your bad your big bad's about to go and you're like, oh yeah, hey, I should check in. Where is everybody? And they're all like, Oh, I am the entire party is inches from death. Right. You you probably waited too long. Yeah narratively speaking to to be able to sort of like affect the arc other than to say like okay well i'm going to knock all of you out and you're now captives andy i'm that jerk d i because i do most of my dming these days not live but on roll 20 oh you have all the character sheets up too like i'm i'm on dnd beyond i'm looking at their character sheets i also i've got a couple players that are a little less familiar with 5e so I, I will have their player sheets up just so I can help too. But yeah, also so I can yeah. check to see like, are they using the power? Like I, I always have my characters read out things because I just want to make sure that they're understanding their powers properly. And they don't yeah. always. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to lo- rules lawyer them, but I do, it's both assist and check 
on yeah. using their powers properly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think as a rule of thumb, you may, you may not need to check in with them about it, but if you have it, the idea of keeping a sense of how damaged is the party, how much of those resources have they used? Are they, is the cleric basically untouched? You know, and that's, and that's also like when you understand like kind of where everybody's at, you can choose to shift focus of the encounter to, let's say the fighter is the one who is, let's say some of your support characters are pretty heavily wounded. You can choose to shift your focus on a character that's more able to take damage. Yeah, I do that a lot. I, I, and so, so that you're really like hitting them hard and that'll give a breather to everybody else. And it gives them a moment to kind of understand, to decide, oh, yeah, we got to go. Good, that's good. Right. Like the, yeah, I think that it's, it is that sort of thing of just un, kind of understanding the, the terrain of the encounter. Um, that's good advice. Andy. I yeah. think that I'll give you, I'll give an example that just, again, we're going to use this example because yeah. it was really top of mind for me was their prime tank is a hexagon. So a paladin right. plus war hex blade warlock. Right? right. And she did some damage and then backed off. And she's the one that ran straight into the, the, the next wave of monsters, unfortunately. Yeah. And then I, because unfortunately the monsters got really good initiative. So they actually moved first. I basically had them. She's the only tank in this group. So I basically had the monsters focus on her just because she's very obviously the most powerful. She's just, she's the, they're all, they're all smaller creatures. She's the only full, she's the only medium or like officially medium size. So she's, she looks more threat. She also wears the tiny party. Yeah. And she's got (laughs) armor on, like, she just looks like a threat, right? Yeah. She so this queen ant, this giant, the bunch of giant ants, um, extra powerful giant ants, custom designed. The queen ant came in on her, and she dropped. These are level four, so it was a pretty amazing hit. But she dropped a forty-five hit point damage on this queen ant in one hit, right? Massive hit. So then I'm like, okay, you're the real threat. So I had a bunch of the ants around her, but then so she's got three ants around her, but then. And these ants all have three attacks. I critted her on the the ant queen ants sting. Yeah. Sting attack, which is a 4d10 poison attack. So she got I would say, I would say, like when we talk about like, CR oh, rating, yeah. Like so the dice want to tell their story, yeah. right? So this is another thing when we talk about what's happening in the encounter. I know a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm rolling in front of the, I'm gonna roll in front of everybody, everybody can see my dice. I, I tend to roll behind a screen and I'll be honest, like I, in that circumstance, if I knew that it was a, the queen was going to attack this character and there were going to be three or four other characters, I probably would have, if I were playing with younger people, like, like I definitely, when I was playing with like my son and a bunch of his teenage friends in like high school and middle school, I fudged those rolls. So I did, I, I, I literally rolled five crits in that encounter against these guys. So it was also... It was just, it was just not cool. I mean, it was nothing yeah. I could do, but the yeah. crit, it allowed me to really amp up the threat quickly. And then yeah. I had to back off a little bit. So I did a perfect example of like the threat amped up really quick because their tank got taken out. Now, if the tank hadn't done this massive damage, I mean, the tank basically didn't completely take out the queen, but put the queen in at super high risk very, yeah. very in one hit. So they've got three people that can heal on this party. The problem was that the the, the paladin was far away from everybody. At that yeah, time. too far. So it was it was interesting because it created this dynamic of them trying to get a clear line to get over to heal the paladin. Yeah, but it was it, again, it was higher, way higher threat than I had intended. But it was it 
it scared them. <laughs> they definitely were like, I have to do a long rest without crushing them because the, the cleric basically had no spell slots left by the end. Yeah, yeah, none. Yeah. none. So because this, the, and, the, and then the cleric was rolling terrible to try to use Guiding Bolt to sort of take out the queen. They finally did, but it, it was, yeah. and I had one ant run away because I was like, okay, you killed the queen. You scared this, this last ant yeah. that's going to pose a lot of problem for you ran away. So I took this, I took some of the threat out in the middle of the encounter because they were struggling so hard. I, I will also think another thing that I'll say, if like energy in the session is starting to lag mm-hmm. or like they've, they, in the case of an encounter, like you're describing where you've got one clearly like kind of like the lead enemy and then a bunch of little minions around. I 100% will be like, yeah, okay, you guys have killed the big bad. You kill the rest of them, yeah. right? You know, well, like if, especially if, it, if we're talking, again, that sort of like combat encounters. Yeah, they're demoralized. Lot, yeah, yeah, combat encounters are really engaging and a lot of fun through about round four, Yeah, right? If they go past four rounds, that that is pretty long in, in the D&D context. <laughs> and at that point, I'll usually start yeah, it depends a party, on party size. A party of three, you can go to five rounds. A party of six, three rounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's 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 exactly it. You're right. It, it just, and that is that is like a table thing, not so much like a a story thing. Right. Think, that's just a people get people get tired. People get people start to check out. Yeah. They start to get frustrated. Whatever that is. So you want to kind of read the energy of the table do, a little yeah. bit and kind of be willing to. Hey, you know, that last wave of enemies that I was going to put in there, they're not going in or, or if they are, they're half the size and half the power. Right. I will, I, I tend, I mean, having just said, I will fudge rolls. I tend not to fudge them. I will play with AC and hit points on the fly. That's Sometimes it. where I'll like somebody, I'll cut hit points in half. I, or alternately, like I need that guy to last a little bit longer. I'll add 10 hit points to him on the fly just to keep him up. I think that's the, the I agree. Like I try not to fudge my rolls. I tend to play with hit points or I let yeah. a hit sneak through that needs to hit sneak through if it needs to. Yeah. Um, so let's sort of recap first. The first piece here is just, I think the first advice is don't, you can use D&D Beyond or some of the other tools out there to evaluate threat rating with CR, mm-hmm. but just be aware. Yeah. Not just perfect. Be- and and start to like start to understand your party like what what is going to be a threat to them and so when right. i add custom things to my monsters it's usually they have a certain style the, the 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 my party has yep. a certain style so i'm going to throw things that counter their style that's yeah. really all it is yeah. Yeah. um if they're yeah. if they're they've got a bunch they've got a flying character and a bunch of ranged spellcasters so i'm going to make them go up against goblins with bows right like it's just yeah yeah stuff yeah. like that right like just understand yeah. the types of tactics that will then and uh keith yeah. keith ammon yeah. uh monsters know what they're doing can't can't recommend that book highly more than i do yeah. in fact yeah. in fact i think we're going to give away when we reach um 750 followers on twitter we're going to give one of those books away because i've got an extra one um yeah. so i think understanding monster tactics can really help you so first thing is understand your party evaluate the CR rating. Don't be a slave to it, but evaluate as a DM what your party is. And a lot of that advice you just gave Andy was around just understanding your party. What, what can they, do they love combat? Do they love RP that, that, that make your party have fun and understanding your party is part of that. So that's the first thing we can do. And the second thing is to just understand the action economy 
and how to amplify threat through encounter design. Multiple encounters, a series of encounters. The idea of like layer actions or environmental effects, I think, is huge. The idea of being able to... Environmental effects, making the environment interesting through a variety of means, traps, whatever you got. Throw it in there. It it makes it makes it takes a blah encounter and makes it interesting. Well, I mean, here's the thing: is like if you think about that fight with you know you're having a fight with a bunch of kobolds, right? Even if you're sort of a mid tier party and you're they're running away from you and you're chasing them, and oh hey, guess what? They you run into a deadfall pit. All of a sudden, half your party's dropped ten feet down, or they trigger some environmental trap like while you're in a big encounter with them. Those sorts of things are or like your shadow web that you just described mm-hmm. in the encounter you're talking about all of those things are ways that you as a dm party has no knowledge of those things right so you can the party's in rough shape and they somebody runs over a trap you don't have to trigger that trap right right if but party's doing awesome but their tank has decided he's going to swagger out in front and is and is running hard to like encounter the enemy drop him into a 10 foot hole yeah like you watch you want to watch somebody go oh no yeah so i think the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the two notes there are yeah. plan ahead as much as you can or have yeah. time to do understand yeah. what will happen if your pins or if the party loses quickly yeah Just understand what you might do have a right. thought about it you don't have to like yeah. they can, both you and I have thoughts about what's going to happen. I may just go five steps further in planning it, but <laughs> you, you either one works, yeah. right? But then adjust on the fly. Also, yeah. be prepared to change what you planned um, as a DM because that's actually, I think, what makes most DMs go from good to great yeah. uh, is is the ability to adjust to the situation and read the room. Read what's happening. Yeah. yeah. And I will say, like, when we talk about like the TPK, right? The and the last, the this is the last thing I'll I'll add to this, right? If everything goes sideways and your party has they're just taking they've bitten off more than they can chew and they get they get slapped around, they go unconscious, scene goes dark, mid-session energy is weird. Everybody's oh my god, we just killed everybody. We we've been playing with these characters for years. You can say everything goes dark, and then hey, guess what? You wake up, you're in a dark room, you're chained to a wall, you've been captured. you have none of your stuff, yeah. you've been captured. And yeah. then just end the session right there. And then you as a DM can then sit there and go, okay. And don't and don't feel bad about taking five minutes when, when something like that happens to just be like, okay, hey guys, we're going to take a break, go have a drink. I need to sit here and, and think for a second. And then, and then figure it out. It's, it's great advice. Again, you really, have really all the tools advice. to do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. So don't feel like you, you can't change something because you have a particular story in mind. Yeah. Be, don't be afraid to be like, hey, you know what? The, the Hobgoblin horde came through and they, they killed your party and they just kept moving, right? They looted some of your stuff. You guys are unconscious. And then some, some little goblin, a friendly goblin came and realized that you guys were alive and, you know, has... Dragged you off to their hobble and is and is nursing you back to health. Think about all the stories, the really good stories that at some point early in the movie, the character dies or looks like they die, but then doesn't. Right? Yeah. You can you can leverage that. Let's wrap this up. I think there's one other thing that's sort of similar to that point, Andy. I think for kids, you have to be particularly mindful about TPKs and even just killing individual characters. You have to be you one. Always, always, always in session zero, talk about about the possibility of death with your kids or the kids in the group. 
just make sure that they understand that that's a possibility. When I've played with kids, I almost invariably, this is going to sound really mean, but or not mean, but real. I will almost invariably kill an NPC that's along the ride for them in the first <laughs> three or four sessions, just, yeah. just to see how they respond to death. And just to make sure that they understand yeah. that it's possible. I want them to know that they're that 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 you can drop to zero hit points and you're not dead. Yeah. Or yeah, you yeah. are dead, right? Depending on what you do about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So um I have a uh I've got a little dad joke for you. Oh, all right. I'll do the next one, but you do no, not today, but in the future, I'll do the next one. <laughs> I've got a couple. I just didn't prayer okay. one for today. So but you go. How do you say around noon? In the language of the elves, uh, I don't know. It's twelve-ish. Oh, <laughs> oh that hurts. That's horrible. That, that is, is that is like that is so dad jokey. That's like that's a, right. I, I don't know. Oh, like anybody it. comes I like to, it. if everyone has better dad jokes, I'm I'm happy. Oh yeah, we should like submit. Them. We should ask people to submit dad jokes, <laughs> um, and then well, we, we we're at some point we're going to open up a Patreon. We're not there yet, um, and maybe we can reward people with things for submitting yes. uh, dad jokes to the to the channel. <laughs> All right, well, thank you everybody. We really appreciate your support. Again, we just keep growing. We're more of you listening all the time, so we're really excited for those of you who are new. Welcome for those of you who are listen to a bunch go, go check out more right we got a lot of different exactly. stuff out there so there's a lot of stuff to appeal to every different type of player awesome all right enjoy thanks everyone talk to you later